Don't know why you put up with Jill week by week. It's, uh, it's really been good to be with you. Now we're going to read in Numbers 14. We're leaving out a short section. And we're going to read Numbers 14. And we're beginning to read at verse 20 this evening. Verse 20. Maybe I should just say that um, previously, in the previous verses, Moses has been pleading with the Lord that he doesn't destroy the people because of their disbelief of him. And uh, he mentions uh, a lovely verse that the Lord is slow to anger. And he appeals to that when he's speaking to the Lord about the situation. I think I'll probably read verse 19, but don't change it. Ellie will come just read on. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, Turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you twenty years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for forty years suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For forty years, one year for each of the forty days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert and here they will die. As we were thinking about this morning, you'll remember that it was God's purpose and will that he should bring this people into the land of Canaan. He had promised it on oath to them, as he mentions here in this conversation he has with Moses. And in spite of the fact that they knew what the Lord's will was for them, in spite of the fact that they were absolutely certain what the Lord wanted to do with them. Nevertheless, they decided they knew better than God, and we read a little of the consequences of that earlier today. 
But you'll recognize that God cannot allow unbelief and disbelief to go unpunished. And I wonder if I may just to draw one or two lessons from the, the central emphasis that this particular um, account gives to us. You notice that the Lord says, I have forgiven them. That is, in relation to their sin, they had been forgiven, not in relation to their disbelief as regards his ongoing purpose for them. And whenever Moses appeals in the previous verses that God should intervene and forgive them, the Lord recognizes that having promised his forgiveness, he would act upon that. But it doesn't exclude the fact that God will bring them into this situation that they have desired themselves. Whenever you and I reject what we know the will of God to be for us, then we will find ourselves faced with particular issues arising from that. And I'm sure as you look back in your life, you can recognize the sort of intervention of God in various ways. But I wonder if I may just to point up uh, how God sort of points up this whole question of who he truly is. This morning we were considering that sometimes our notion of God is too small. We don't have a real awareness of his greatness and his majesty. And he says in verse 21, Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in each and in the desert, but he disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. Now he says two things that are absolutely certain about himself. He says, first of all, as surely as I live. You and I have the great privilege of serving the living God. One of the things that's pointed out in the the book of the Acts in the early preaching of the apostles is that the gods that the people are worshipping are not gods at all. They can't intervene in men's behalf. It doesn't matter how loud you shout at them, they can't hear And you'll remember that Elijah had brought a similar emphasis to bear when he talked to the prophets of Baal and said to them, Shout louder, your God's probably asleep. Uh, Maybe he's on holiday. Maybe he's not really free to, to listen to your pleas and so on. And I think you and I need to draw a very clear distinction between the idols which are still worshipped within our society and in wider folk amongst the world and the true and living God. And we need to be absolutely clear about this. Because I don't have the option to do what the children of Israel did and hold this God in contempt. You know, to act on my own and say, well, I I still acknowledge him as Lord, but I'm going to do my own thing. If I'm going to recognize who he truly is, I need to recognize his livingness and his involvement because of his resurrection in your life and mine. To recognize that this Christ who died for us lives for us and lives to continually intercede for us. So when we pray, our prayers always get higher than the ceiling. Don't look so pleased about it. But, you know, when we pray, the living God hears us. He answers according to his will and purpose, but he always hears. The Spirit the Spirit constantly intercedes for us. The living Christ 
continually makes intercession for us. I think sometimes when we pray, we don't really believe the Lord will answer our prayers. Well, I sometimes feel like that, sadly. You know, and I ask the Lord to intervene in certain situations. I'm actually surprised when he does. And that's sad. But he does. He's an intervening God. And you'll notice, secondly, that he says, Surely the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. It's become unfashionable to think of God as creator and sustainer of all things. And I fear that even within our Christian circles, we sometimes are swayed to think otherwise. It's the Lord who promised that cold and heat, summer and winter, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And that's why it hasn't ceased. And regardless of what men think, and I'm not going to enter into this controversy, regardless about what men think about their influence on the climate, as sure as you sit there and I stand here, God will continue to honor his word. And seed time and harvest and summer and winter and cold and heat shall not cease. Because he has so said. The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. We planted some honeysuckle in a tub in our garden. And it's just recently come into blossom. And it smells divine. And I use the term carefully. I don't know how you can design a honeysuckle so it has the scent that it has. But I know someone who did. And the reality of God's intervention and his handiwork is all around us. And we need to see it as from the point of view of the glory of God. You know, this is an expression of, of who he is and what he is like. What about the heavens above? What do the heavens do? They declare the glory of God. And you go out on a, on a moonlit night and you think to yourself, this is magical. Well, it's not magical, it's creatorial. It's the way God has done it. And the stars in their courses. And the continuance of the stars in their courses. I can remember in my early university career saying to one of my lecturers, why do the stars stay the way they are? And he looked at me for a minute and he said, Glasgow, are you a Christian? And I said, I am. He said, well, then you know, because I don't. Think about it. Because it's all supposition. Perhaps this works and that works and so and so is thing and perhaps there's gravitational fields out there we don't know anything about. But why do they hold their position? The heavens declare the glory of God. He's all expressing himself all around us because this is who he is. But you notice he takes it a stage further. The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. So there's nowhere where you can go on earth where you can't see something of the glory of God. Whether it be in the Kalahari Desert, whether it be in the middle of the ocean, there's something expressing the glory of God. It's the way he is. And I was greatly struck, as you'll probably recognize, by these simple statements. And then he says in verse 22, Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs that I performed in Egypt and in the desert. You know, this whole question of the glory of God being expressed in the earth at this time, as far as this nation was concerned, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. They saw, they had the possibility of seeing the glory of God on the land of Canaan. 
and they were never to see it. And that is just sad, sad, sad. Because what the Lord is saying here is, I wanted to bring these people into blessing. I wanted them to know the reality of what I have prepared for them. I wanted them to see it and recognize that the promises I made were absolutely sure and certain. But they ain't going to see it because they don't believe. And I'm back to where I was earlier today, and I'm not going to repeat that. No one who has treated me with contempt, that is, who have disobeyed me, will ever see it. And then the verse that Jonathan picked out for us earlier. But because my servant Caleb, and suddenly you have a, a total different perspective. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now this is a a, a remarkable statement and I I want if I may just to draw your attention to, to something else. Whenever the land is being divided A generation later, Caleb, at the age of 85, says to Joshua, he says to Joshua, I want you to give me this mountain. And this mountain was where the children of Anak were, those who were the giants who had stumbled this particular generation, the previous generation, and prevented them from going into the land. And Caleb says, look, I'm as strong today for war as I was then. The Lord has kept me alive these 80 and 5 years. One of the great statements of Scripture. Who keeps you alive? Your special training in the gym? Your swimming in the swimming pool? Not that you shouldn't do that. Don't misunderstand me. Who keeps you alive? The challenge which Daniel brings to Belshazzar, you may remember, In chapter 5, I think it is, of the book of Daniel, he says to Belshazzar, The God in whose hand your breath is, have you not honored? The God in whose hand your breath is, have you not honored? The Lord has kept me alive these 85 years, 80 and 5 years. Now give me this mountain. And as you may know, um, Caleb conquers Hebron, and then he gives it back to the Lord. And he says, Lord, will you give me this mountain? I'm giving it back to you. Because this little phrase that we have in verse 24 of Numbers 14 is true of Caleb all the way through his life. He follows me wholeheartedly. And can I be absolutely blunt? The only thing that the Lord wants from you and me is wholeheartedness. He doesn't want us to be double-minded he doesn't want us to be ifing and mebbying and perhapsing. However long you've walked with him, all that he wants from you, all that he wants from me, is that we be wholehearted in our following of him. That when we say we make a commitment to the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, we recognize both the fact that he saves us, but we are aware of the fact that he's our Lord. He can tell you where to go in the right sense. He leads us in the way everlasting. His whole business for you and me is the Lord is my shepherd. You know, he, he leads me. He directs us. He leads me beside still waters. You know the psalm. This whole functioning of God in our lives is this question. All I have to do is follow. 
Just to sing a wee song, and that was the refrain in it. All we have to do is follow. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's difficult because we're wandering folk. But to have this testimony from God, and God knows Caleb's heart. To have this testimony from God, Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. And then God says of Caleb, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. And as I say, the proof of the puddings and the eating, and you read in the later chapter of Joshua, the later chapters of Joshua, that's exactly what happens. Who brings him in? It's God who brings him in. Why does God bring him in? Because he's special? No, because he followed. And I've been asking myself the question, as I get a little bit older every day, if I prefer to follow the Lord as closely as once I did. Caleb was the oldest man in Canaan from the land of Israel. The oldest man, 85. Some of you are not quite there yet. Some of you are getting quite close to it. But wouldn't it be great just to continue to follow the Lord for however he wants us to, so we may know his his blessing. I will bring him into the land, and his descendants will inherit it. I quoted this morning a little verse, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you and I are called to this great inheritance which the the Father has provided for us through the Son. An inheritance, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1, an inheritance which is reserved in heaven for you. For you. For me. All I have to do is make sure I keep on following the Lord. And I have no idea what that inheritance is, but I'm really looking forward to it. And it's secured based on the fact that in his mercy he called us. And then he says, there's the last phrase of the following verse, you will set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And you think to yourself, he's just brought them from the Red Sea through the desert to the borders of Canaan. And now he's going to take them back because they hadn't enough sense to recognize his promise to them. They saw the problems. They didn't recognize the truth of the promise. And you and I, I think, need to constantly remind ourselves that what God has promised, he will bring to pass. I will come again and receive you unto myself. I'm not so sure, Lord, it's been a long time. He's coming. He's coming. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, I won't go through all the verses, we'll be here a long time. How long is this wicked, will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, and he emphasizes it again as livingness, and this time in judgment, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. They had said to God earlier on in the chapter, as we saw this morning, we want to die in the desert. Either go back to Egypt or die in the desert. Why didn't we die in the desert? And the Lord says, that's what you want, that's what you get. Never pray an idle prayer to the Lord. Every one of you 20 years old or more who has counted in the census and has grumbled against me, 
Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joseph, jo- Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Now I have a, a fairly vivid imagination at times. But just think about it. Ten years into their wanderings, there's still quite a few of them who had refused to go into the land are alive. And they all look hale and healthy. And they're being fed in the, generous, in the gen- generosity of God with fresh bread every morning from his kitchens. And they've got shoes that are never wearing out. Cobblers were out of a job for 40 years. Because God was gracious to them. And then 15 years later, after 25 years after this pronouncement, you look around and say to yourself, hmm, there's nearly a third of us gone. But maybe I'll survive. Feel great. I'm going to be okay. And five years later, your body dies and falls by the desert. Until 39 years later, none of you left. How sad. Thinking for, for 39 years how, how it could have been. Could have been in a different country. Could have seen mountains. Could have enjoyed fresh water. I'm dying in the desert because of my unbelief, because I haven't been prepared to accept the promise at its face value. And then you look at your kids, those who were under 20, and you begin to think to yourself, I wish, I wish I could enter the promised land with my youngsters. I wish I could enjoy the blessings of God with them. I wish I could see what God's going to do in the future. But you have drawn a line under your future because of unbelief. You see how harsh this is in one sense. And then for the youngsters, because they didn't go without suffering. Verse 33, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins. And know what it is like to have me against you. How solemn that is. You'll meet their end in this desert, and here they will die. Now the sequel, the immediate sequel to this, is the ten spies who had gone to spy out the land went around their various tribes and say, Listen, fellas, we're going to go in anyway. We're going to disobey God again. We're going to try to take on these nations and just go into the land. And they're immediately, totally, harshly defeated. Because the Lord isn't with them. You know, the basic principle of this whole chapter is, if the Lord's with you, he can do anything. If you and I are not prepared to trust him, and I say this carefully, he can do nothing but express judgment on us. You understand that? I'm not talking about here about losing your salvation. I'm talking about us being done out of the blessings of our salvation here and now. You know, these, this great vista which was theirs for the taking was denied them because of their disobedience and unbelief. And you and I can get so earthly focused that we forget 
the glory of just walking with Christ and knowing his blessing on our life day by day. And we turn around and we blame God and we say things to God like, oh, why does this happen to me? And, and so forth and so on. Why shouldn't it? You know, we have the blessings of the immediacy of his presence. We have the blessings of the immediacy of his care. We have the blessings of the immediacy of the awareness that that which is for our good he will constantly do. And yet I can turn my back on it or I can have my vision clouded. I can get warped and frustrated and angry with my brothers and sisters and so forth and so on. I don't know how these youngsters reacted to their parents' disobedience, but it must have been really hard in the households. As the Lord used the phrase, they'll suffer for your disobedience for 40 years. So it's a solemn portion. And yet overhanging it all is this whole question and recognition of the glory of the Lord which fills the whole earth. And the fact that we're faced every day with the possibility of walking with him or deciding our own future. And I trust the Lord will help us to make the right path and choose the right steps and walk with them to the days of our life that remain. God bless you. Thank you, John.